0: Your presentation. Welcome to episode 134 of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Robeck alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin.
1: Skin him a rinky dinky doo, Matt.
0: skimming a rinky doo. I love you. Uh, what's up, homie? It's been a while. It's uh, I'm back from vacation. You're back from covid part two (laughs) or maybe i don't know Uh, i have no idea anymore who Uh, knows with anything anymore man um i was just in florida for two weeks so i could be you know (laughs) fucking just swimming in it right now who knows um but uh yeah i'm back from vacation i just was in orlando uh for 10 days uh with my mother uh, my mama my papa my sister and my wife I uh, went to Disney World in Orlando, but I'm not going to talk about that today. That's going to be its own episode next week. I'm going to talk about the best rides at Disney World. Uh, I'm going to talk about the best rides at Universal Orlando. I'm going to talk about all the shenanigans I got into with my family. I built a lightsaber. It's right over here. I'll show that on the next episode. Um, what it's, It's like a Marvel for, uh, movie. <laughs> For uh, that's the post credit scene will just be me turning on my lightsaber, and you'll see what color I chose. Um, I'll talk about all that next week, but this week, Eric and I just kind of wanted we haven't chatted on this show in a while. We're just gonna shoot the shit. We're gonna talk about what we've been watching, we're gonna talk about some Super Bowl trailers, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, the Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania press conference that Eric, um, listened to while I was gone. Um, a bunch of stuff but Eric how how are you doing
1: well Matt uh I'm okay I mean I'm a lot better than I was before you left um but I still have a little bit of the rasp in the voice and kind of feeling not exhausted but just kind of a little bit more drained of of, of energy like I, yeah. it was interesting because again I didn't feel sick the way I did when when I had COVID back in April of last year because it was it it was much more manageable like this just kind of felt like a um, a, you know a head cold for the most part Um, you know really focusing on uh, the throat so um, you know I've I've been basically inside for the majority of of two weeks with just the one exception of seeing Ant-Man but I was testing negative uh, at that point so that's why I went to go and see that so I haven't been out anywhere else um, since then or you know, even before. So I haven't watched uh, 80 for Brady or Knock at the Cabin or Magic <laughs> Mike's I Last Dance yeah. uh, as of yet. But I will catch up with those movies uh, in, in the near future. But, um, you know, obviously you're going to be talking about your trip next week but how are you feeling just you know coming back now and kind of just kind of getting back into canadian winter and also just yeah routine. i mean
0: the weather's been pretty good the last two days to be honest like since i got home it's been in the the plus like five or plus eight which for here in february is is quite nice but yeah i mean just it was uh it was wonderful to get away for a good chunk of time in the winter to somewhere where it's warm because like I hadn't done that in a while, and it just kind of breaks up the winter, which is nice, right? Like that seasonal depression. The kind of like the, we left at like the most frigid time when I think it was like minus thirty Celsius when we left, or something like the day we left. So um, to go into you know Floridian weather, which was all plus. 25 plus 22 plus 27 plus 31 day like in in florida was like really kind of nice like sunshine got to wear shorts every day like wasn't too hot there was only like one day when it got up to like plus 30 where i'm like the sun's beating on you and you're like this is almost too much but I should not complain because it's very cold back home so like without getting into the specifics of like the rides and the movie tie-ins which is what I'll get into next week like the trip overall was probably one of the best trips I've ever taken like it was just so nice to spend time with my family go to some nice weather um, be in that kind of bubble for a week like that Disney bubble especially because we stayed on resort that like you you don't feel like you're in reality, if that makes sense. Like you, you're like, you're going into the quantum realm for, for, <laughs> for 10 days because like, I barely looked at my phone. I barely went on Twitter. Uh, I barely followed the alien invasion that was happening. Um, <laughs> Shoot uh, it I, down. Barely, <laughs> I barely followed anything that was going on in the real world because my days are days. We've jam packed them so much because we all really wanted to do the theme parks and stuff like that, that they were like 12 plus hour days, like 25,000 to 30,000 steps every day. Uh, like walking these theme parks, going on rides, being at the resort. Um, barely on your phone other than looking for like fast passes or ride times on the Disney world app or something like that. So like it was just nice to escape for 10 days. And like, I, I love theme parks. I, it's the one thing where like, I'm not an emotionless guy, but like, I don't show emotion a lot. Like if I really love something in a movie or sports or something like that, like I, my wife love things like that. Like I do show emotion, but like I, I, I very rarely like there's one place like theme parks. It seems like something I would hate on paper, right? Lots of people to wait in lines. Everything's expensive. Um, there's a lot going for it where you're like, why would I understand why people wouldn't like them, right? They're for children. Mm-hmm. There's tons of children there. All of these things. Um, but for some reason, it's a it, it's, uh, theme parks specifically the very elaborate theme parks that have a lot of movie tie-ins, right? Being movie guys. um, I've always loved, like Canada's Wonderland here in Toronto when it was paramount Canada's Wonderland um, and every ride was paramount movie themed i i I loved that place and then when they removed all that branding i cared less but when you go to disney and you go to universal and everything's about you know something you've enjoyed as a child or something you enjoy now whether it's star wars or marvel but also enjoyed as a child um and universal same thing with jurassic park themed stuff and back to the future the et ride all that kind of stuff you are just escaped to this one place where i just feel you know, motivated and happy. And, and, you know, you want to get up at every morning at 7am and you want to go on every ride and, and you're not in the real world. It's like go watching a movie. That's why I love movies, right? Cause it's escapism for me. Um, some people find it as art and there are times I view film as art and a lot of the times film is art, but a lot of the times it's escapism for me. It's going to another world. It's, it's getting away from my own life. It's walking in someone else's shoes and, and that tactile nature of being in a theme park where you're engrossed in these worlds. And, and, you know, um, I just really love it. So it was fun to kind of just get away for 10 days and then being with my family. Like, you know, I spend time with my family, like, but being 10 days together of my mom, my sister, uh, my dad, um, you know, my mom almost wasn't able to go on the trip. And it was really kind of emotional that last week leading up to it where it was touch and go when it comes to if my mom was able to travel because she, she uh, not to get too personal, but she had some health issues and stuff like that where it wasn't looking like she could go on the trip. And uh, our family was devastated, but she was able to go and just my mom and my dad being in their mid sixties and they walked 20 some thousand steps every day with us. They got up in the morning. My dad was so happy to ride 37 rides at, at Disney world. He was so, he wanted, we wrote them all down and ranked them. I'll show, I'll, I'll share that ranking next, next week. And I did that with my whole family. And, uh, my dad was really proud that he went on 37 rides and there was nothing he skipped out on nothing. He was like, I'm not going to do that. That's too much for me. I'm 65 or whatever. Um, and my mom, the same thing where there was more where she had to maybe tap out and not go on because of uh, different issues and stuff like that. But she went on a lot, too. And um, it's, it's something I'll cherish for a long time. And people make jokes about Disney adulting and stuff like that. We were Disney adults for a week and it was a blast. So it was really fun. And I it was just nice to have everyone. um you know, together and and doing all that stuff. And it was a near perfect trip. So that's the little short teaser. Um, The weather was amazing. You come back and I wore shorts to get a coffee today. And someone went shorts in February. And I was like, yeah, I'm just getting a coffee. And she's like, no, this is wonderful. Um, So I came back to good (laughs) good weather, too. Um, Yeah, (laughs) David Lynch saw me. He's like, you're wearing shorts in February. Um, It's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Well, look at this. Get me a Timbit. Um, I got an ice cap this morning for some reason. I don't know why I got an ice cap. I think there was a deal. Um, anyways, trip was wonderful. So now I'm back home. Uh, first thing Nevis and I did was went to go see a couple movies. So I caught up on 80 for Brady and Knock at the Cabin. I can talk a little bit about those. 80 for Brady makes sense with the Super Bowl stuff we're going to be talking about. Uh, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, not Super Bowl or football related, but M Night Shyamalan. Uh, you know, a little subdued Shalom Alana. I like it. Um, We'll talk about that Uh, later too. I can't wait for you to see them or else maybe we would do individual reviews or maybe we'll just kind of talk about them when I see them and then when you ultimately go see them. But uh, then I went out for Valentine's Day dinner with Nevis yesterday night. Um, So been very busy, Eric. That's the thing. Like not like today was my first day of being like, I'm going to relax this morning and you know, I just say that I just got back from a vacation, but it was one of those vacations where it was like, get up at 7am and you're getting back at 11pm every night or, or something like that. So it was not one of those lounge by the pool and do nothing vacations. It was like a go, 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 go vacation. So, and then immediately went, saw movies, had a great dinner with Nevis last night. So, um, you know, yeah, I've been busy, but, uh, it was, it was great. So what about you with your, pseudo covid you watch skidamarink right (laughs) yes i've been in and out of consciousness for two
1: weeks (laughs) matt um (laughs) which is which is true Uh, yeah so i watched skidamarink which you know you had watched you, you saw theatrically at the review um it's now available on shutter in canada and i believe in the u.s as well uh to stream and it's one of those movies where I kind of love it and I'm also frustrated by it at the same time. And there's this weird moral stance that I've kind of taken with it. And I don't mean to necessarily sound prudish, but there is something about putting young kids in danger that kind of does feel like a cheap tactic a little bit that kind of bothers me. But um, I think visually speaking, it's a very well constructed piece of, not genre filmmaking, but almost like art house installation kind of experimental filmmaking where part of it is kind of like that, you know, talking about David Lynch, the the, the midnight madness kind of midnight movie kind of thing. And then a part of it as well as also just like this avant garde, um, you know, experimental sort of infrastructure that it's using and sort of looking at you know, the, the artifice of technology and tactile objects from the nineties and kind of finding a, um, you know, warping nostalgia or subverting nostalgia in a way that's kind of horrifying in that, you know, you have these two kids that you barely see, um, it's from their point of view and they're very young and it's almost like a dream where they're waking up one night and, kind of left to their own devices and having to kind of fend for themselves and realizing maybe they're not alone because the windows and doors have disappeared and they keep hearing this weird distorted voice but it it, it works it's it's a very creepy movie and I think like when you do get those moments of horror because it's a loo- it's it's like the, the definition of the loosest narrative there's not a lot of plot there um which i think is almost more frightening than anything else that you're so kind of in this almost like VR interactive state with this, you know, this set that you're, you're on, it's the, the director's actual home, childhood home, um, that it's, it makes it creepy because you're just so uncomfortable with it. Um, And you don't know how to process it. And I think like those movies that are challenging like that are the best ones. And in the films that it's like, maybe you don't necessarily love to begin with, but you do think about. And there are certain scenes in the film, especially the ending and the final shot that are very haunting. And just they stay with you in a way that I think um, most horror movies aren't as daring as this or even just art house films in general. Like it's, it's just also fascinating to think that this movie played a week in limited release, but in Canada, it also did play Scotiabank theater at Scotiabank theater uh for a week. And it's like after
0: its review, right? Running yeah. After the review yeah. and, and cause and it I, got so much viral kind of hype and it also played in Montreal, right at, at yeah. Fantasia like last year. Yeah. I'm a, uh, I'm pretty much with you. The kid thing doesn't bother me as much. I guess it's an easy way to make it scarier or something like that. But um, I I just think it's a... I I think I said it when I saw it the first time. Like, if you are doing a low-budget, you know, horror movie, I think that... And a very micro-budget movie. Like, I think that this is an incredibly clever way to use what you have to make something interesting. And I, I think I talked about it of, like... You know, how big you know, we we talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp, which we can talk about now. The embargo's up. You guys can check out our spoiler-free review right now. Um you know, when you're given so much money to do whatever you want, I think sometimes you take the easy way out, right? You just go, we'll shoot everything on green screen, we'll figure out how it looks. Um you know, there's no real creativity there, even though you're you're posing as it's creative. But you have all the means to do whatever you want. That you don't have to kind of get creative to try to figure out the problems you would have if you didn't have the money to do something. That's where practical effects, camera movement, camera placement, um, lighting, all this kind of stuff comes into play in these very small budget uh movies especially when you're trying to scare people or make them unsettled or or create something abstract or unique i feel like when you have no money to just do whatever you want you have to go okay what is a cool way to do this for the money we have or the little to no money we have and i feel like that's when you get some really creative things in the use of yeah like you said playing with nostalgia and the television program and lighting like i mentioned and um uh, point of view perspective um all that kind of stuff i think they do uh the filmmaker what's his name again uh do you have uh, a kyle edward hand? ball kyle. and and, yeah, and the budget
1: kyle. was reportedly fifteen thousand dollars
0: which is nothing it's really nothing right i can max out my credit card with fifteen fifteen thousand dollars if i wanted to
1: you can make your own a <laughs> um, and
0: that's what i mean but like i can't right like that comes no. from the creativeness of it of just like that's what i i found really enticing throughout it like it is a tedious movie uh, and i don't mean that as an insult because like it is such a slow burn that i understand why it would be tedious to to a lot of people i don't personally i didn't find it tedious it is a challenging movie to your point eric where it it is so slow and methodical and and you know p- plotless that like you know the very thin plot is like a demon is in this house And it's not necessarily even taunting these children, but like, you know, luring them to do things or learning from a children's television program. And then, you know, that's how I what I took from it is like this this demonic house that's with the things that are available to it. It's almost like learning like it is a child as well, like. Um, that's what I took from like, you see a disappearing act on the television and a cartoon that they're doing. So the, the demon in the house does these things. They're very simple camera tricks. So the demons like also that, cheap but,
1: then, right? Because it's in yeah. the cartoons are in the public domain.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, and that's, but even stuff like that is like finding this one clip from a cartoon in a public domain that you can kind of utilize in your loose narrative of what this demon is is doing to these children that I, I found very unsettling. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's a movie that I could have gone either way on. Cause I, I do often go either way on movies like this, where I go, this is unwatchable and I don't want, like, why would anyone want this? Or I go, I can appreciate it because of the filmmaking and the creativeness and, and things like that. And, um, You know, I think people, the viral nature of it, where it was going viral on TikTok and other places, like I think will ruin probably the best, the quote unquote best moments of the movie. And then you'll just go in expecting those things and think it's that for its short runtime where it takes a long time to get to those moments. And I think that viral hype will ultimately hurt the movie for a general audience that goes, "Ooh, I've heard this movie's terrifying. I'm going to go see it." And then they're going to be bored to tears. And there are a couple great jump scares um and some unsettling imagery throughout the movie, some of it even darkly comedic. Um uh at least for people who know these toys that they're playing with or maybe you're a fan of Toy Story or something like that too. Um but <laughs> uh, I I I don't know, I really liked it. Like I think it's playing off, you know, paranormal activity a bit, even though it's not found footage. Like I feel like Blair Witch, um, Blair Witch, that kind of, you know, those movies that are iconic in the last 20, 30 years in, in the horror genre that I think that's familiar to people. So they will, and scary to people. So they will kind of buy into that. And then that kind of abstract thing we already mentioned, you know, David Lynch. I said, you know, we mentioned Sharon Lois and Bram being the skin of Marink Dinky Dink song. So I even in my original tweets, it's Sharon Lois and Lynch because like it did have that kind of we use that term too much, the Lynchian kind of term, but like I really did kind of get that vibe of that like hyper low budget, like David Lynch takes his fucking VHS cam and makes some well Eraserhead, a right like that eraser yeah, Eraserhead Eraserhead, was a yeah.
1: movie that came out in the late 70s and was kind of put together with the, the the scraps of you know afi kind of helping him out and things like that and and when you see that movie it's otherworldly but it, it exists in a place that is coming directly from from him right and and like watching the movie like there are other filmmakers that you think about as well it's almost like okay imagine if you know someone like Guy Madden or a pitch uponng we Se the cool or even Matthew Rankin directed a home alone movie this would be the Matthew version.
0: Rankin is who I thought of man yeah especially with the involved, sound Matthew effects Rankin too is giving me giving me hope for weird Canadian cinema right yeah. <laughs> like and this is also like, a Canadian
1: film because the, the, the filmmakers yeah. from Edmonton and 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 so like even though it's not inherently a canadian movie like there's not a lot of like there's no canadian flags or
0: people talking Pokerou about it doesn't pop up and stab you or no no
1: but it does but. have that kind of small budget like early, late 70s early 80s tax shelter kind of vibe where like It's something that you would watch on city TV or CBC at like midnight or 2am in the morning if you have insomnia and you would just kind of stumble upon it. But yeah, again, like I think a point, an important point that you just made is that if you're going into this film based on the viral marketing or um, just kind of the, the grassroots of it all, I think. You know, some people will dig it if they're art house movie goers. But if you go, if, if you went to go and see this at Scotiabank Theater, thinking you were going to get a found footage horror movie like with or a just, group
0: of teenagers or something like that, especially if you <laughs> have
1: a, a limit, like a limited attention span. Right. Like, I feel like this is a movie that, yeah, it, it's weird that it's doing well being advertised on TikTok of all things, because TikTok is about, you know, having something that's like what, like, I don't even seconds. think it was
0: from them. I think it was just people who cuz it leaked online after it right. premiered I think at thing so I think people were taking moments from it and just putting them on TikTok I Yeah but but, but again when you're when you're I don't watching I don't even no 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 like I'm not I'm not even saying but.
1: No I'm not even saying that I'm just saying like if you're watching you know a short clip oh, right. of it on TikTok or any you know social media whatsoever there there's a part of you it's like okay well it's like oh I'm going to get this for The entire running time. And I need to get this in order to stimulate my mind because if I don't have this for, you know, the hour in what, like 20 or hour 30 it it is, I'm going to be bored. And that's the world we live in now where attention spans are so finite or 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 limited that it's just like you know like you can see someone being creeped out by something that's 20 seconds on 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 tiktok but then going to the theater and watching the full movie and being like what the hell is this
0: yeah and you can see right now like it has a 44 percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and a five point one out of ten on IMDb. So what I'm t- what it's basically what I'm saying is like people this viral hype of being like Skinnamarink is fucking terrifying. It's the scariest blah 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 blah. You see the clip of like a creepy thing twenty seconds on 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 TikTok, and that's only like one of three moments in the movie. And it takes an hour and forty minutes to kind of build that tension. I think it does a good job building tension. I find movies that build tension and nothing happens to be scarier than movies that just throw jump scares at you. So for me, even if it's very slow pace, I was still like intrigued by the entire thing, but I could understand a, someone going to Scotiabank being like, I heard the Skiddemarink movies terrifying and they go see it. And they're just like, is something (laughs) going to (laughs) happen? And like, you know, it takes an hour before anything really happens in the movie. And it's just so, you know, yeah, it just sits on shots for so long. And you brought up a pitch upon um Verisekathu and I remember even you know, that screening of uh of memoria uh that we saw at TIFF, it's it's very much yeah, that style of just sitting on something and, and waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing might happen. And then you might move to the next thing and then you waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and then nothing might happen. And then you move to the And then something very disturbing happens, but it takes a long time to get there. Or uh I, I really dug it. Um I it sat with me and I I, I I have I don't know how it would play at home. You did watch it at home, but like I in I think a, it's creepy I don't know at if home. I, I think watching it yeah. at home makes it kind
1: of creepier because you're in a, a place that's supposed to be, you know, safe and comfortable. And it, you know, like you're watching this thing that's reminding you of, you know, I think the biggest fear is, is, is as a child, and I think it really does tap into this, is that, you know, if your parents are gone and you're 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 alone, and if you have a sibling or or somebody looking after yes. you, you know, that idea of kind of not being sure what to do and not being sure like how to like do, do you how do you fend for yourself because these are little kids like these are kids that are what like probably like four and six or or th- something like that and yeah, and so like ten for sure but the like, world's yeah, scarier like, and bigger because of that and I especially think that in the also middle of the works. night, too right yeah. We
0: all remember those moments as a kid waking up in the middle of the night and what scared you, right? like so I think it plays on that nostalgia and that those memories um really really well but yeah go check it out it's on shutter if you're if you get on its wavelength uh i feel like you'll know very quickly (laughs) if you (laughs) if you vibe with it or not give it 10 15 minutes and if you're like i'm intrigued by this stick it with the the 140 but like it's definitely not going to be for everyone and i understand so um i did really uh vibe with it um okay um I can talk a little bit about uh yeah the little movie experience I had with my wife uh on Monday the day we got back from our trip I saw 80 for Brady and Knock at the Cabin the perfect double bill the morning after the Super Bowl um <laughs> god where do I start uh 80 for Brady I don't need to go into a lot of detail about 80 for Brady I don't think we need to do a review for 80 for Brady I'm just glad they make movies for uh different age groups, you know? That's all I'm happy about. Like my mom and her friends going to love this movie. This is a movie that's like definitely not for me even as a sports fan. I don't really care about Tom Brady or football all that much. Um but it's a movie you watch and it's not very good. Um but I was intrigued one cuz uh the director is one of the co-directors of the climb climb, which we saw at tiff which i i I think we were i was sort of mixed on i forget but i was i I did like elements of that movie um even if i ultimately at the end of it i I, I was mixed on it uh but it was weird to me that he was directing this um and then guy fietti is in it i'm like i'm in um and you have a bunch of uh, former academy award winners and nominees in, in the film um it's very much a movie for that age group for, you know, for this 60 plus crowd. And that's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to be ageist or anything like that. It's just watching the movie, the humor, the, the, the filmmaking is, it, it's just, it's not for a 34 year old couple. It can be, I guess, but like, I, I just didn't find a ton of enjoyment out of it. The jokes are very corny uh the filmmaking is very simple it's got that classic kind of sports movie road trip movie kind of um true story but elevated to the point where not elevated but uh to the point where it's like it's not really the true story you throw so much in there that's ridiculous and over the top that this clearly didn't happen um uh but it's cute i guess like i gave the movie a 2 out of 5 just very much not for me but like I I didn't sit there going, oh, my God, when is this going to end? And I willingly went with my wife to go see it. So like and I didn't hate my time with it. It was just at the end of it. I'm like, this isn't for me. (laughs) But then I immediately messaged my mom when she uh, saw my Instagram story. And she's like, I want to see that. I went, you're going to love it. And then that was my review of 80 for Brady. So uh, I don't know if you have any questions about 80 for Brady, Eric, but I don't really have much to say about it. I I mean, I. I'm curious to see
1: it because of of Kyle Marvin directing it who is the co-star of of The Climb. Um and there's a really good article about that on IndieWire where he talks about kind of, you know, making a film that is more mainstream and and something that is You know, like just kind of making pure entertainment and not necessarily trying to even subvert those expectations, you know, and I, I think like that's kind of an interesting perspective, because when you hear about weird combinations of like a filmmaker who's, you know, done something that's kind of a little bit more um off the beaten trail and then you know i mean we talk about this all the time with you know sundance directors going into big studio movies whether it be marvel <laughs> films or, or other franchises and you think like oh are they going to you know bring anything that they have that we saw in those movies into you know the studio system and um Kyle Marvin was talking a little bit about how that was the opposite of what he wanted to do He wanted to do he just wanted to make a studio movie yeah Yeah, he still was taught saying like oh this will benefit me to go and make another small movie because i'll get the money to do it but also i want to make this kind of movie because it's a challenge to make you know a film that is more straightforward so i kind of appreciated that I think the
0: movie accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do right like I can't fault the movie at all it just wasn't for me you know like I do think for its targeted audience they will enjoy it and I you know objectively while watching it I'm just like I don't think this is good but there are a lot of movies that I don't necessarily think are trying to be more than what they are and they kind of accomplish it and it's not like it's Filmmaking at its finest, but it's totally passable, passive entertainment for a couple hours for a specific group. And I think for our parents' ages and that crowd that this movie is clearly marketed towards. Um, and I think some sports fans, Tom Brady fans, things like that, but, uh, mostly I think the six triple D fans retired. Yeah. Retiree crowd is what they're going for. And I think you can tell in, in the humor and I, it seems like all the ladies are having fun making it. And that's important too, right? Like they're at a point in their careers where they can do whatever they want. And like, they're just kind of, I love Sally field. I love everyone. Rita Moreno's great. And, and, um, it's just, I don't know the humor while I kind of like snickered at a lot of it, uh, you know, the guy Fieri stuff I did genuinely like, cause I just think he's a funny character. And, um, I think some of the best moments were in the trailers and things like that, but not a horrible time at the movies. Just I, after I watched it, I went, okay, I didn't need to see that. <laughs> I didn't need, you kind of know what that.
1: you're getting. Um, even, even yeah. with Kyle. So Kyle, Kyle Marvin, didn't direct the climb, but he's the co-star of it. And Michael Angelo, right. Okay. um, Thank
0: you for correcting me on that. Who, who is the director of the climb,
1: uh, didn't direct 80 for Brady, but he's an executive producer on this. And also did some script rewrites. And in that same Indie wire interview, he also talks about how like they wanted, both of them wanted to like, they were originally both going to direct the film. Um, together, but then something happened where, like, Kavino just didn't, whether it be scheduling or personal issues, like, he just couldn't do it, but he was, like, there were even photos of him, like, production stills of him on set going through the script with some of the actors and stuff like that, um, so it is just interesting from that perspective if you are, like, uh, you know, an indie movie person and you were kind of like, oh, I'd, I'd like to see what those guys are up to now um and and then you go in and watch this it's like the reverse version of of skinnamaric in a weird way (laughs) it's like you know you get the you get this advertisement for 80 for brady and then you see that it's oh kyle marvin who directed this and then you know michael angelo Cavino is an executive producer as well so it's like oh the guys who did the climb um and then you're kind of going and think like oh this is gonna like you know secretly be like a trojan horse kind of thing where you know like. It's weirder than it actually is, but then ultimately it turns out to be more kind of a of a commercial film. But that I think is also kind of an interesting challenge for filmmakers, where it's like they adapt to, you know, the 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 style of filmmaking that they're presented. And that was the conversation that they had in that IndieWire article. It's a really good um, piece and it really kind of like and I
0: applaud him for it yeah. you know sometimes you just want to do something different and you're working with legends in this movie which is pretty wild for him as well and um, you know it seems like everyone had a good time making it even if it wasn't for me so that's my review of 80 for Brady um, and then uh, after 80 for Brady uh, my wife and I decided to do a VIP showing of knock at the cabin uh, because it was you know around dinner time, we were like, you know what, let's just get some food in the VIP theater and watch a Shalom joint. So, um, I love talking about M Night movies because we've talked about it on our show what seems like forever. That we always cheer for the guy, you know. Every movie that comes out, it's gonna be a crapshoot of if it's going to be you know entertaining, good, laughable. Uh, just straight up bad. It could be any of these things. <laughs> it could be a best picture nominee. Who the hell knows? It's been a while since that. But um, it, well, it could be nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, it could be anything. So each M night movie, though, I'm excited to see what we're going to get, uh, whether it's old, whether it's split, whether it's you know a weird, unbreakable sequel we didn't know we were going to get. Um, just whatever comes our way it could go a plethora of different ways so knock at the cabin uh a movie that i you know even forgot was coming so quickly and then it just kind of appeared out of nowhere uh but i was intrigued by it i loved i love Dave bautista Uh, seemed like a simple concept um always intrigued by an m night movie and i gotta say kind of enjoyed the shit out of this movie like again not perfect not amazing um but for m night doing something that's a little bit kind of more straightforward um i kind of like single location very performance driven and uh location driven just like Uh, no fancy bells or whistles you know there's some uh, uh, we saw in the trailer some newscasts with some end of the world kind of stuff but um i just liked the simplicity of this and a really great performance from dave bautista like that guy i just love that guy man like a guy who's taking on interesting roles challenging roles for him playing against type a lot of times um not just taking and he's talked about this in interviews as well to keep that thread going too of how he he doesn't want to necessarily be the rock or john cena he doesn't want to be a movie star he wants to be an actor and that's no insult to those guys it's just like those are the types of roles he wants to take is something that's a bit challenging to him something that um gives a little bit more meat on the bones and i feel like in Knock at the Cabin, he has to carry this movie, and I think he's quite excellent. And, you know, the movie plays out almost uh, in a predictable kind of, like, you you see it coming from a mile away, every step thing, but I, I kind of vibed with it for that reason, because of M. Night always trying to kind of throw a curveball at you or do something. Like, there's still very much the, like, a bit of a twist, but it's still, like... Pretty straightforward where you're like, okay, yeah, I understood that that's what this movie was. Um but I I don't know. There was something about like, oh, okay, that was just people in a cabin talking, some disturbing things happen, and and you know, it's not much more than that. And um yeah, straightforward shalomalon, I I kind of vibed with, I really dug it.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward you're, to catching you're up. Go
0: see it, right? Yeah, yeah, I
1: will. I, I mean, like, he, again, he's one of those guys that I always kind of, you know, I'm always excited about what's next for him. I mean, he already has his next project set up for for next year, um, and then it was just announced the other day that his daughter uh, is making her directorial debut over oh, wow. at New Line uh, with a horror film called The Watchers. So the Nepo baby conversation Great. continues. You no. Know?
0: You know, power to him. You know, I'm for someone who's job searching right now. I mean, I've got to be like, anyone got anything, Uncle Mark? You, 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 anything my way? Um, so I understand that, but yeah, you know, it's just it was such a simple concept of like, can you make the obvious choice? Uh, that is the hardest choice, right? Like, the, the thing will could you save the world if you had to kill someone you loved, right? And like, that's the simplest log line of the movie, and that's what the movie is, but that. It's such a tricky question in context when you have your your husband or your wife and, or your, your partner and your your child and and even though you might be able to save the world. and I liked that kind of playing with you know what's going on in society today with conspiracy theories and echo chambers and they' it's all very on the nose and they discuss all this stuff in the movie. but like I like that idea of how much would it take for you to believe these people across from you, right? that they are telling the truth. And that's like was an interesting, it kept me consistently engaged because you put yourself in uh the shoes of the characters of this outlandish fucking statement from these people that are all seemingly regular people or what they're telling you are regular people and they have to do this because whoever told them to they're seeing visions. Um it's such a ridiculous fucking thing and they know that but the more you see the more you believe and is it fake is it real like are they telling the truth are they just psychopaths is this just a home invasion movie where they're fucking with them like like it plays with your expectations and and makes you believe them in one moment and not believe them in the next and that comes from dave bautista and and the supporting cast and and stuff like that so um only criticisms i have is like uh, the young girl in the movie's not great. Child actors could go either way, right? Like she's very clearly delivering a script, but I can't falter on that. She's, you know, probably one of her first movies. Um, I just, I don't know. And then, and then also, I didn't love. Uh, is it Ben Aldridge? Um, yeah, who's Jonathan Groff's husband in the movie? Um, a little, you know, and I said this about Jonathan Groff when he was in Manhunter. Was it Manhunter? No, what's it called? Not Manhunter. Um Manhunter's <laughs> Man Hunter. the Michael Mann yeah uh, uh, movie. What am I thinking of? The David Fincher. Yeah, I'm forgetting, Hunter. Mind Mind Hunter. Hunter. <laughs> not Manhunter. <laughs> I mean, they Hunter. both deal with... with
1: investigating serial killers, so that's you know, yes,
0: fair. Um, but it was very theatrical his performance and jonathan groff that's the same thing i said about uh mind Hunter, where it was just like theater acting but on a tv show or on screen um and there's you can tell i don't know if ben aldridge is a theater actor it looks like he is um it's just very kind of over the top the delivery just feels unnatural at times um and I think that's maybe my biggest criticism is in his performance I don't think he's bad or anything and it doesn't ruin the movie like I actually thought Jonathan Groff was quite good and Dave Bautista was quite good um M. Night Shyamalan's uh, cameo hilarious in this movie is it as um, good as absolutely. it was in old though um, I think it's better, but like, I think you'll laugh quite hard when it happens. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, a disturbing at times, like just intriguing throughout, throughout, like really kind of straightforward, simple M night Shyamalan movies. So, um, I kind of appreciate th- that. Just take a step back and do something a little bit more simple. And I kind of vibed with it. So, um, I think it's my favorite thing he's done in quite some time um I gotta say like I I know a lot of people like Split and uh The Visit uh I was like I liked The Visit but it didn't like I I didn't I, I liked it but I think this is probably my favorite thing of his since Signs man so that's since 2002 so like it reminded me of early Shyamalan like where um it didn't have that kind of weird should I laugh at this or should I enjoy or or should I genuinely enjoy this kind of vibe to it, which I feel like everything after signs with the village lady in the water happening airbender after earth split glass old, like all of those (laughs) movies, there are, there are some good things in some of them, but like they have this, this off vibe to them where this felt like, Oh, okay, it's it's that kind of PG-13 to almost R-ish disturbing kind of a little bit more creative or simple M-Night. Like yes, those movies relied on a twist with six Sense and signs and and unbreakable, but like I don't know. It's like it brought me back to a simpler time of early M-Night, <laughs> so I kind of vibed with it. So, I like well, it also, a bit. Well, also I
1: I think another thing as well that I kind of find interesting about this movie you have two cinematographers, and one of them is Jaron um, who is Robert Eggers' uh, usual cinematographer. He shot The Northman, uh, The Lighthouse, uh, and The Witch. I like the and look then, of it. And then also, like, he cast Anya Taylor-Joy in, in Split and Glass. So I think he's weirdly like a, a, a Robert Eggers fan <laughs> in, in a way. But, I don't doubt um, it. But it is his career, I think, is kind of interesting and it's always worth talking about. Where, like, the visit was him at the bottom of kind of the, the barrel a little bit, where like he kind like of went self
0: funded it and stuff. Well, right?
1: and in going to Blumhouse, right? And like yeah. that was him kind of being like, okay you know and also doing the found footage thing right or like a version of the found footage thing with the kids you know going to visit their grandparents uh for a little bit and and having kind of the the screen life kind of quality as well right with with Katherine Hahn being the mom who kind of comes in from time to time on video messages and then from there like split was the film that kind of brought him back fully right like in terms of um, financial success not mi- mix critical like it's it's not a bad movie but it's not a great film either uh, a lot of it is really on on James McAvoy but that movie like you look at that film and it's kind of like you know it's, it's one location for the most part and it's a group of people being terrorized by one person um, or multiple people in the case you know if you look at it the, the, with uh, James McAvoy you know and, and his disorder so it's interesting that like that's kind of the film that he's been making for the last little bit where it's it, his movies are more stripped down because he's also self-funding a lot of his stuff um so like old is is a single location movie glass for the most part is a single location film um he seems to kind of be interested in doing that now or maybe there's a strategic kind of financial incentive to making something that is a little bit more self-contained overall yeah. so i find that kind of interesting um as well and yeah he's just one of those guys where it's like i don't know if if it like <laughs> my love of six Sense and unbreakable or, or not six Sense uh signs it because i like six Sense, but i think six Sense I is know, one of those yeah. movies you go back that kind of there's more holes in it but signs and unbreakable are so good and taps into his tone perfectly that he has been able to coast on those movies for so long. And every time he presents a film, they're always, they're good concepts. Like, I think they are all of them. Even the happening is not a bad concept for a film. It's just ultimately the execution and also the hiring of the right people. Like hiring Mark (laughs) Wahlberg to play a high school, you know, science teacher was (laughs) the worst thing he could ever do. Um, but it, again, I'm all like, like, that off
0: type because look at Dave Bautista playing a second grade teacher in this. But Dave Bautista
1: is, is a more subtle actor. You know, you put glasses yeah. on him and he becomes a very subtle guy, um, which yeah. I like a <laughs> lot. Um, tiny glasses and Dave Bautista are a winning combo. Um, but there is just something really interesting about his like I like parts of Lady in the Water. I think like that movie doesn't work as a whole. Same. And it just came out the same year as Pan's Labyrinth, which is kind of. You know, in terms of if you're picking one kind of like, you know, fantasy-esque story, that's the better movie. Um, But there is always something about him where it's like, man, if he just kind of, you know, finds the right person for the the role or if, you know, like he's able to kind of tone down a little bit some of his stuff. I think maybe if he co-wrote some of his movies with someone else or had a producer to kind of say, Um, maybe maybe you want to tone it down a little bit because i feel like he does have free reign and that's maybe yeah i think we've
0: said that for a long time is like i think he just letting someone do maybe do a first pass but then pass it off to someone to do a rewrite or something just to kind of hone it in a little bit and like um i i've said that for a while that i think that's maybe what he could use but you know now with him and it, it On Knock at the Cabin, there is three credited screenwriters with himself, Steve Desmond, and Michael Sherman. So maybe that is what happened here. Um, And I'm all for that. I just feel like, yeah, because if you look at Old, if you look at Glass, he's the sole credited screenwriter, split sole screenwriter. So it seems like with Knock at the Cabin, whether it was... Yeah, you know, uh Universal, is it Universal who released it? Yeah, Universal yeah. or someone that said, like, hey, maybe just get someone to do a pass on this <laughs> after your first draft, or a couple people, I think is maybe a good call. Cause I think it worked out here. It's just, you know, back to the roots, kind of doing something simple and um not relying so heavily on a twist, even though it's still kind of there. Like that is one of his trademarks. You still kind of have to have it. But um, yeah, I, I think. If you haven't checked it out it's it's worth seeing at least i don't know if it's like a great movie but i i actually thought i had a good time with it um all right eric anything else you want to talk about that you've watched while you were sick or or do you want well to i mean i've been just to... watching
1: stuff for work which my reviews yeah. for Marlowe and sharper will be available on uh, rogers uh, pretty soon we have the review for ant-man and the wasp quantum mania um which i also mentioned in that review that i re spider-man into the spider-verse and i gotta say that rewatch was just fantastic. Yeah. And I'm so excited recently for too. Across yeah. the Spider-Verse. Like it's just yeah. like, and then I rewatched or there were, yeah. Cause I hadn't seen the trailer for Across the Spider-Verse since it initially came out, but then I rewatched it and uh, yeah, I, I am so excited for that movie. Um, maybe a little bit too much so, because I don't want to get my hopes up. Just, I, I don't know if that movie can't, can follow in into the Spider Verse's footsteps and, and pull off as good of a movie, but um, yeah, that, that if get film half does. We a
0: good movie, then I'm happy.
1: Yeah, it, it's just like In you know, the Spider Verse does exactly what I want all comic book movies to do, which is maintain that artistic style. That because I, I, I think comic books, even though I, I haven't read a comic book really since I was a teenager but comic books are always going to be better than the movie because they're so stylish they're so inventive with what they're doing and they don't necessarily focus on plot it's more so the design of of you know the image of the frame and kind of movie I mean there is story obviously but it's not as plot focused, where with films, I think the biggest problem with Marvel, DC, any comic book adaptation, it's always about moving the plot forward or, or, or putting more plot into the film, not story. I mean, like getting from A to B to C and introducing characters and storylines and subplots that kind of feel like, okay, are we overdoing this? Are we setting too much up for something that should be, you know, told within the framing of, you know, one film or are we going to carry this on into sequels or within the rest of the world that we're creating. And Spider-Verse does that and, 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 and achieves the, 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 or earns the multiverse kind of narrative arcs that it, that it spins. But at the same time, it's always about the character first. And I feel like the character is so important to these stories that it always gets a back seat to, you know, the the, the writing, the the plotting, the, yeah. the the constant okay, well we have to have, you know, this character introduced and this origin story to explain how they became this character. And now we have to set up the villain of the piece and what they're all about. And then also we have to have what the villain is after or or what, you know, is 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 on the line. And it's never about You know, the people just living their lives and now having to live their life, you know, changed in a way. And Spider-Verse gets that. And Spider-Verse takes the time to really focus on Miles Morales as, as a person. And I think also visually speaking, like more animated comic book adaptations, I think, would suit Marvel or DC because the style is just so unique to the storytelling and experimental and and we have seen a little bit of that you know post spider-verse with even you know the mitchells versus the machines and and puss in boots you know the last wish but it's it's kind of refreshing to see a comic book adaptation that starts in 2d getting a 3d but still animated adaptation you can play with scale you can play like just like the yeah. size of miles versus the size of the kingpin, kingpin you know like, yeah. like that, where in live action amazing. that
0: wouldn't work right no. or it would look goofy or or something like that like i mean look at even Modoc in 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 hitman like it yeah. just doesn't it doesn't quite work when you translate it to live action and you just have the freedom to kind of do some spectacular pardon the pun for spider-man like things that that you might not be able to do in live action whether it's budget restrictions or just the way that it would look or anything like that i agree with you everything from style to character to even the plot of the movie like it's it it's simple but creative and it, it does focus on miles and and it's just it is an incredible fucking movie and i just cannot wait for uh, across the spider verse as well i'm a thousand thousand percent with you and even if it's a part one or part two like i actually you know they change the titles and remove the part one and part two because it's across and through right or something like that i forget what yeah the, or beyond beyond it's across and beyond the spider verse so or it's like, the seed bearer um, i don't know <laughs> what does beyond the spider-verse even mean too right so like I, i'm I, I really do think you're going to get even more creative stuff with all the spider-men with tom holland with toby Maguire, with andrew garfield with everyone who's ever played spider-man and i think like that's just you know that's the icing on the cake because the cake is miles's story and i feel like they're still going to do a great job with that and i um you know I know they're not directing, but, you know, you brought up Mitchell's versus Machines and, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, I think, are just so such great producers of guiding people to very funny movies, very creative movies, very exciting movies or television shows, uh, but that also have a ton of heart in them and have, like, a great, like, even Jump Street has heart and even, like, these really stupid kind of things that they do, like, have a heart to them and focus on character. So, like um i even watched a trailer for strays (laughs) last night (laughs) which i didn't even know was a real thing um and i'm like you know what phil lord and chris miller are gonna put their names on this i think it's them right because they said that the producers of 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 21 jump street but i'll have to figure that out but maybe i'm completely wrong but strays i'm like all right cool homeward bound but r-rated give me that (laughs) (laughs)
1: lost in san francisco
0: (laughs) Uh yeah, I'm excited for uh, Spider Verse. Um, speaking of movies coming out this year, I say we now uh, talk a little bit about you know also because of 80 for Brady, the Super Bowl was this was past nice. Sunday, <laughs> Eric. Um, it was. So I think we should, I think we should talk about some of the Super Bowl trailers that dropped this past weekend we got a couple big ones uh, a couple smaller ones and just scattered about some super bowl spots uh big game spots whatever you want to call them but um we got a ton so we got the flash we got guardians of the galaxy volume three uh we got an incredible am i still here it said i dropped out for a second no you're okay cool Uh, we'll we'll trust it we'll keep rolling (laughs) um we got an amazing super Mario brothers plumbing commercial to promote the movie. Um, and we got some other stuff as well. Uh, where do you want to start? Should we start I, with the flash? I think, I, yeah, I think that's probably yeah. the
1: biggest one of, of all the trailers and, and previews um, for the super bowl. And the one that there's, there's a conversation there obviously with just yeah surrounding Ezra Miller, but also, now with James Gunn and Peter Seferin coming in and, and, you know, changing DC and, and how much is, is going to change moving forward with this? Because you have to think, you know, with this trailer, the idea was, this was going to set up Michael Keaton as kind of the Nick Fury within the DCEU. That seems to have changed. But at the same time, if the flash movie is popular And if the Flash movie is popular because of Michael Keaton's Batman, which it probably will be because it's going to tap into a lot of people who grew up watching Michael Keaton as Batman, us included. But then also like the Supergirl character. You know, if those characters are popular and track well with audiences, do they bring them back into the DCEU or, or change the plans further? Because I couldn't see... A situation where, you know, the movie comes out and it does financially well because of, say, the Keaton stuff or Supergirl. Um, and then James Gunn being like, no, we can't. No, this is it. It was just a one and done thing. Like, we're not going to have those two characters back ever again now. You know, I've made my mind up. It, it, it would seem kind of weird to, like, throw away money uh, for, like, yeah. Michael Keaton to come back in another Version. I mean, obviously they're doing another Batman movie in the D in this new DCEU with, you know, him playing the father of, of Damien, um, but it would just be weird. I, I don't know, like it would be kind of strange I, if, that, if the flash comes out. And yeah, it's like a huge hit, you know, and
0: I think they have a ton of different options here. So firstly, the trailer I was pleasantly surprised by I, I again Ezra Miller things aside. Uh, he's done some really allegedly some, they, sorry, um, they have done some allegedly very bad things. Thank you for that correction, Eric. Um, that, you know, it seems like they're getting help that Warner brothers is, you know, um trying to help Ezra Miller. Uh, he's, they have gone to rehab and, and, you know, uh, and they're continuing with this. I don't know whether they were so far in where they couldn't replace, um, them, but there's, that's a very complicated situation that I think should be talked about and should be part of the narrative of this movie because, um, I, I think that is very important. Um, I don't know how to tackle that other than that statement, because, like I'm trying to just this movie's coming out. they are in the movie um and it seems like they might move forward with them if if the movie's successful and if they get the proper help that they need um that being said, I thought the trailer was quite good um and surprisingly, so I don't know whether I should be totally surprised because like the first it movie was uh quite good um i think um sorry the director's name i'm i'm blanking on right now uh, andy there. machete andy machete thank you um i think andy machete did a great job with that first it movie um second movie a little too bloated but you know it is what it is um but going <laughs> but through this
1: title it is what it is <laughs> yeah
0: um <laughs> i didn't even mean to do that uh but i don't know like watching this i think the excitement of keaton coming out even with the corny line of yeah i'm batman i'm like fuck yeah you are i'm like yeah you are batman um like i just and the way that even michael keaton's batman like that action sequence that brief it just seemed like that epic scale you want from a superhero movie that that It just immediately, whether it's just the trailer editing or the music that they use or the shots they choose, like you can almost tell when a superhero movie feels like a big deal or important versus something that just feels like another superhero movie coming out. And the vibe I got from the Flash trailer was that it felt like this big epic crossover event movie. And I wasn't expecting that because like Ezra Miller's, uh, flash in, in the Snyderverse, you know, they took the sort of Spider-Man route with them, made him more of a comedic character, uh, quippy, uh, the younger character of the group. Um, and I, I was fine with it. Like I thought he was, they were okay throughout the Snyderverse um, movies. Um, I, I, but I never cared. And I, I don't really have ever been a flash person. Like the flash, I read flashpoint, which is, this is based off of loosely. Um, but that was more of an event comic than a flash comic in, in, in DC, but I never read this singular flash comics or anything like that. So I don't know what I, and because of the DCEU and the Snyderverse stuff, which you brought up and James Gunn taking over and these movies that are still part of the DCEU, I was just like, I don't know what I do. We need this. And then I saw this trailer and I'm like, oh, okay. And we've talked about flashpoint for a while of being the perfect point to kind of reset this universe. And I feel like James Gunn, the way he's talked about it, I think he had a similar reaction to many of us watching that trailer on Sunday that went like, God damn, this looks, this looks shockingly fun or good even. Um, and or at least I really want to see this movie now. And James Gunn's talked about in that initial thing that he's seen the movie and he really thinks it's excellent. And yes, part of you goes, Well, he's the head of DC. He kind of needs to say that now. Um, but then he didn't say that about Aquaman or uh Shazam too. He didn't say those movies are amazing. He said The Flash is amazing and it's one of the best superhero movies he's ever seen. He didn't say jack shit about Shazam or Aquaman, (laughs) right? So like, part of me goes, okay, he doesn't have to say that about every DC movie. And James Gunn being the smart guy that he is, and I think the trailer just with Kara, with Michael Keaton's Batman, with Ben Affleck's Batman, uh, the hints at other things, Like, I just thought it was a really, really well put together trailer. So then my brain, to your initial question, Eric, starts turning and going, as a DC fan, this gets me excited again, because yes, I didn't love the DCEU. But if they can somehow redeem that and go, okay, we didn't love it either. Let's figure out a way to kind of say goodbye and reset everything and set up the new James Gunn thing. And he's come in early enough. This movie has been kind of sitting... And for a couple of years now, as it kept getting delayed and delayed and they did reshoots and things like that. So like I could see them adding a tag, whether they cast a new Batman or whether the rumor is true that they're going to use one of the former Batman as the DCU Batman as the father figure to Damien, whether it's Christian Giselle, Bale or Damian Michael Chazelle. Ke- Yeah. Uh, um, Yes. Uh, Michael Keaton or, you know, I don't think they'll continue with Affleck that that wouldn't make much sense. But um, if they convince Christian Bale to come back or they or they go with Michael Keaton, maybe still moving forward, he'd be an older dad, I guess, to a Damien. But that's fine, too. Um, I think that James Gunn is smart enough to use this movie, especially if it is good as that As that reset point, which I think they were already intending on doing. So I think he'll just add in his own thing at the end, whether that's teasing the new Batman or actually showing the new Batman. Um, But the rest of it, you know, I think he'll pick and choose like, like you mentioned of what he wants, because like, look at. he's keeping peacemaker he's keeping the peacemaker team right like i think some of those members of the suicide squad he'll continue to use so he is taking like we're getting a whole amanda waller series right which is which a is basically
1: pe- like season 2 of peacemaker right because he's taking yes. the characters from peacemaker but yeah. focusing it now so that that's kind of interesting in itself right because the the the, the season of peacemaker was a really satisfying show and i think part of it was because it knew where the story began and where it ended but also now knowing about the Waller series it's like okay this is a way of of making season 2 of peacemaker but making it about Waller who was a part of peacemaker and also it gives someone like Viola Davis who you know is amazing in everything kind of the spotlight and maybe we'll see more layers to Amanda Waller because we really haven't seen much of her character other than being kind of, you know, a a very dominant force that's kind of been, been in the
0: background
1: for the most part. So that could be interesting.
0: And to that point that shows that James Gunn isn't afraid of using actors that were in the DCEU to continue in his version of the DC universe. Right? So, to me i think that lets him pick and choose who he wants like this this flash movie it might not give you all the answers but the end of it is going to reset this universe and the new universe that comes out of this flash movie will be james gunns dcu moving forward so like i think whether that's him continuing with ezra miller as the flash or uh, gal gadot as as wonder woman we know ben affleck's probably done after Uh, Aquaman, I know they reshot some of the Michael Keaton stuff in Aquaman with Ben Uh, Ben Affleck. I was going to say Ben Stiller. (laughs) That would be (laughs) be good. Ben Stiller (laughs) Um, is the new Batman. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Ben Affleck. That's the rumor there is that, you know, and maybe they won't go with the Keaton thing anymore because it seems like they scrapped that Batman Beyond movie that they were thinking of, uh, of doing with Keaton and Batgirl um, completely and Batgirl completely. So maybe that's not in the cards, which I'm sure, you know, that's totally fine. They want to maybe go with a little bit of a younger Batman, or maybe they're going to go back to one of the other Batman um and but who else would it would have to be it, it would be bail right like that's the only yeah. one that you it would could possibly be and i don't know if you're going to convince him to come back without nolan to do a movie with a father-son movie um unless you convince nolan to come back but that's not going to happen with the warner brothers stuff either like i don't um and i don't see that as as part of this right like uh so i'm i don't know man like it's the Flash movie, I think, looks like a big event movie. Like you can see, they're playing off the Spider-Man No Way Home stuff of bringing in the old actors and and kind of uh, the different versions of Batman. And 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 I like what they're doing with the Flash and seeing his younger self. And it seems like maybe the rumor that there's like an evil. Barry Allen is one of the villains, like Zod, Michael Shannon coming back. Like, I forgot if that was announced. Like, I wasn't expecting that at all. So, like, it's so interesting, like, the death of the Snyderverse, right? The death of Henry Cavill, Superman. Um, in I mean, like, not the storyline death of Superman, but I just mean, like, this version of the character. Um, it's so interesting having such a big event movie that's going to use such a huge character from the first Man of Steel movie, which is the beginning of the Snyderverse, coming back. And it's seemingly like from the trailer that he, there's no meta humans in the Burton verse. That's why Batman. <laughs> yeah, that's why Batman is the only superhero because there's no meta humans in that world, right? That's why well, weren't they
1: implying that Kara is in the Burton verse? Yes. Yet? Like she's been yes. like trapped. I mean, this is only from the from what I'm thinking so of. So that's what I
0: Yes. So I think it's like Clark didn't come to Earth. Kara did in the Burton verse, but she's been held captive the whole time, whether it's by the US government or whoever it was there, um, or whatever government it was. And then that's why they need to get Kara because she needs cause Zod invades metropolis in the burton verse but there is no superman in that universe there's only batman the michael keaton batman so and he can't fight zod by himself but then barry goes to batman to try to because he knows that okay no meta humans so batman would maybe still exist because he's not super powered um so that's intriguing to me. Like that's kind of cool. I like the look of Supergirl in this, and like they could—they already announced a Supergirl movie, right? So to your point, the maybe world of tomorrow—I think it's called, right? Yeah. Like I could see them using this this version of Supergirl too, right? Like it. I don't think all is lost in this movie, where it just feels like it's okay. We just need to get this out there. This one feels like a. Hey, we're going to reset things. Maybe we'll take elements of this, but all of the DCEU stuff is still going to be technically, quote unquote, canon when they move forward, right? Because James Gunn's already talked about it being a multiverse and that, you know, they're going to use some of these actors, which we just talked about with Viola Davis and things like, and, and John Cena. And, and, you know, probably s- I wouldn't be surprised if Margot Robbie still continues in some way moving forward and stuff like that, too. But, um, it's it's messy but intriguing now after this trailer if that makes sense like i'm more intrigued in the dcu than i ever have been after this trailer and maybe that's because we're such michael keaton batman guys or just love love that character and that version of the character as well that like i don't know what i didn't get your total vibe of the trailer what do you think of the movie itself
1: i mixed on the trailer, Matt. I I think the biggest problem with the trailer, just in terms of uh, why I'm not completely sold on it, is some of that Zack Snyder remnant still on the film, especially with the CGI and even – the scene where we're introduced to Batman and we have kind of, you know, a, a, a version of Danny Elfman's score as he, you know, swoops down and takes out these villains. Like, it, it it feels a little bit jarring if you're going into the world of Tim Burton's Batman where there was no CGI at the time. You know, there, there was right, uh, stop but... motion animation and things like that. I know it's been 30 years, but there is still something a little bit weird coming back to you know, after Batman returns and seeing this Batman, you know, digitally augmented for certain scenes. And that it kicks also, the
0: shit out of people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't mind that part. I don't mind him beating people up because I mean, Michael Keaton's Batman's kind of mean. Um, but the the part where it's like, oh, like you're seeing a lot of the effects and style of, of you know, this the Snyder DCEU on display and especially in the way Khan moves too yes he's yeah like that, Cara, that yeah. scene where it's like you know where it's like what do we do Batman it's like we don't die and, I love you know, it like, dude I love I, it. I, well I love dude. it because it's Michael Keaton and I love like just see like seeing him in that trailer I was weirdly emotionally moved by it because it was like oh it's like he's back I haven't seen him for 30 years and and, and just like there is something about like you, you grow up with certain actors and performances and, and, and characters. And I feel like they're, again, like a generation grew up watching, you know, the VHS version of Batman, you know, when it, when it was released and there's just something that's partly nostalgic, but also partly like you have an emotional connection to, you know, someone like Michael Keaton, who, you know, was so iconic in that role. And, and, you know, even just him doing the smirk, like it all like it, it it, just it is the strongest aspect of the movie. And I think that's the most enticing aspect of the trailer where it's like I could care less about the Flash. Like, I, I don't I don't care. I don't yeah. care about Superman. I think the Aquaman movie's fun. I think w- the Wonder Woman movie is fun, but I don't think they're great. I think James Gunn's The Suicide Squad movie is probably the best of, you know, the DCEU before you know the change um
0: which is why he's taking over yeah
1: exactly exactly but but with 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 this trailer it's like I still don't care about the flash whatsoever but it's like I'm going to go and see this movie I'm going to have an interest in it because of Batman because of Michael Keaton and like oh absolutely are, but are, I just that, I thought that's it was, the selling point you know
0: I agree if you take Michael Keaton's Batman out of this Am I as excited as I am? Probably not. But I just still thought it was a really well put together epic superhero trailer where even if you did take Michael Keaton's Batman out, just the way that it's cut, the bringing Zod back kind of thing. Like I, I was just more intrigued than I thought. Like, and even Nevis, my wife, she has, I don't even think she's seen any DC uh, EU movie was like, I kind of want to see that. And I was like. Yeah, right. And I'm like, I don't know why I turned into Mark Wahlberg there, but like, um <laughs> I, I was just like, I we were both surprised at how much we were like, that looks good, and I want to see it. And maybe that's because my expectations were in the toilet, but like it's just uh I I am it's it's skyrocketed as one of my more anticipated superhero movies of the year. And I don't know what it's competing with exactly for the rest of the year. I'm blanking now. Like I, well, there's uh, I there. Gar- I mean, Guardians, Shazam we're gonna talk about. <laughs> Aquaman. Yeah. Guardians, um, the Marvels. I think that's yeah, it for the spider verse we yeah. talked about. So yeah, like obviously spider verse is number one, but um, yeah, man. So I don't know. I, I'm the Michael Keaton stuff is obviously the most intriguing and then how they're going to reset that universe. I think like Aquaman two and, shazam 2 i could not give a flying fuck about <laughs> like i just i don't no. even want to see them um but, but it will be interesting I, with
1: aquaman coming after the flash and the reset having ha- probably happened at this point or or not i don't like that'll be interesting i don't think the I, i'm not interested in aquaman 2 either but um the continuity of that because if if, if ben affleck's batman is in Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, I think it's called. Um, it'll be interesting to see, like, will will this will that take place before the Flash reboot? Or does that I take assume place it after will. the
0: Flash reboot? I think they'll do something to set it up that it's before both of those movies, I think. Well, but you can get, get away with knows, it right?
1: with Shazam because it's coming out before the Flash as well, right? Where, like, right, yeah. And Shazam's also still... I mean, st- what I say still is, is only now going to be Um, it, it's pretty isolated from everything else. Right. Like it never, Shazam never kind of was brought into the Justice League fold as of yet. So Shazam kind of feels like a one-off anyways. Right. So, yeah. you know, with, with this, it's now a write-off Um, and, and like with the Black Adam stuff and, and even just the DCEU in general, it's just, it is just kind of interesting thinking about like, all this stuff that they had planned with Snyder moving forward, or just even what he had set up is now just kind of finally being tossed aside. And it probably should have been, you know, four movies ago. Um, But it's, it's amazing how long, you know, something takes to be reset or, or, or re kind of figured when it's already partly made money, because even though a lot of these films have been critically panned, They've done well. They've made money, you know. At Dawn oh, of yeah, Justice totally. and and yeah. you know the characters the are so popular and carry it. Yeah. a lot of money. So it's like that's yeah. why they they kept going with Snyder's vision for so long. It probably wasn't even necessarily a creative aspect. It was kind of just like, well, you know, Wonder Woman did really well, so we should probably keep this going because we. And so that's why I'm thinking with the Flash. It's like if the Flash does really well. And the response is so strong to Michael Keaton. It's like, what do you do then? Is is it just still gonna be a one-off with him now? Or are they going Maybe to Maybe you figure- continue
0: with him in the Brave of the Bold, Brave and the Bold, right? Like right. I, I'm not saying that Michael Keaton is too old to be daddy Batman and, and, and he's Brave almost and 70 Bold. though. Like, so that's what I I just Damien would probably have to be a little bit older than a teenager, but yeah. or Batman's getting his fuck on when he's 60 something but like i don't know but um there's ways that you can go about it I, I i think people think the christian bale thing might happen but i can't see it happening i don't know i think i think they'll just go I, with a
1: new actor i think like, like that's probably like if you truly want to start fresh i think you need to start with a, a completely different actor you know um
0: the bail thing i guess makes sense because you've already introduced talia and you could easily retcon some bullshit that you know well you could say selena and him
1: had a kid right because we're we're um you could our... but talia
0: is like a big is the is damien's mom right and but I feel does like it have to be for kind of the a... comic
1: book movie though like that's the thing
0: I don't know. I think it's an important part because the league of assassins and how he was raised and he's like, I I guess you don't have to, but I don't know. We'll see. But the flash movie, in my opinion, looked awesome. So I can't wait to see it. We'll see. Um, We'll go now to the sticking with James Gunn. We'll go to guardians of the galaxy. Volume three, a weird time head of DC films, uh, has to go promote a Marvel movie um, the end of his trilogy uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for Guardians of the Galaxy volume 3. Um, this is our second trailer now um, obviously it seems like the film is going to focus a lot on rocket and it almost seems like rocket might be the the main character of the movie even though it is very much an ensemble but um, they're really hammering home the emotional, one last ride one last time together all as a group kind of thing it's a fast and furious um, movie (laughs) kind of and then we'll talk about that too um in a second um but uh, i really love the vibe of this trailer it's something we talked about in our ant-man review as well being like james gunn has a really good handle on character and you know why his guardian movies work so well is yes they have fun you know pulpy kind of plots that are you know uh, but like really it's focused on that group of characters and this this them coming together and from these different spots and being all this kind of you know misfits and kind of things like that that i and they really focus on whether it's peter or or um gamora and drag like each character has a developed you know um uh, story and 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 you know you connection to them, which I feel like when we talked about Ant Man, you don't get with anyone in that movie, right? So James Gunn does a really good job with these of really giving a shit about a talking raccoon. Uh, we're all gonna cry in this movie about a talking raccoon uh, and his backstory, or at least a lot of us are. <laughs> but um, you get Lila the otter again. She looks it's like a CGI she has a robot arm. Come on, man. Yeah. I, I'm gonna cry. You're you're going to too. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm gonna cry when that.
1: Batman shows up on screen, but I'm yeah, not gonna cry true. when I mean, uh, when an when, when a raccoon shows up. <laughs> uh, you will.
0: Uh, I, I I I'm no. obviously very excited for Guardians.
1: Yeah, I I, I am as well. I, I it's interesting because like again, it, there's more of a fascination with with James Gunn right now and where he is that I almost feel like that's distracting from the movie itself, but also looking at this movie, it does feel like there is a little bit more set up for future Marvel movies with someone like Adam Warlock, right? Like that, like that character, you know, will probably play a pivotal role moving forward. And um, it's like how much of that character will be integrated into you know this story that's the end of this version of the guardians of the galaxy so it's like how much time are you going to spend with adam warlock and you know setting him up even though you did get a little bit of that with the stinger for guardians 2 which feels like a you know a, an, an era, eternity you know, ago did. yeah, yeah. And, and and so it's like you got to bring that that character into the fold you you know you, you still have stuff with you know Gamora and and Star Lord that kind of needs to be resolved and then um the I think the one also interesting thing is that with that trailer and the new poster that came out the 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 there's been no announcement yet of who's voicing uh Lydia the, the daughter right yeah so um that's kind of interesting um so I wonder if that's going to be like a last minute thing where it's like they'll announce it you know like the month before the film comes out or
0: you or you don't even know until it is in yeah. the movie maybe it's a big name person I, I don't know but i always said lady gaga but with her being harley quinn now but hey you know james gunn dc you never know yeah i mean um, with jared
1: leto being both uh morbius and the joker anything is possible yeah,
0: yeah um yeah i i there's not much to say it's guardians of the galaxy and i'm excited for it so um yeah, yeah i do agree with you they have to balance like a lot of different things but i think gun is is so good at that as we mentioned like yeah they're in, introducing you know adam warlock who especially in the comics is a huge part of of you know the the biggest aspects of the marvel universe so um you know i I think they did a good job introducing Cosmo in the in the in gar- the holiday special. I think the Gamora stuff should be interesting on in how they tackle that because I know Gunn has always talked about how death should matter um, in comic book movies in the MCU, so it might not have even been his choice to kill off Gamora in in the Avengers movies, so him dealing with that and the repercussions of that I think is interesting and he'll always kind of have an interesting or, or- good approach to that um this being this final movie with this group i think you know we talk about fatalism as well a lot and it's something that i know that really bothers you of like you can end a story without having to kill off your characters Mm -hmm. um and i'm curious to see how they approach that here as well um because it does look like in moments there's some you know, there's that one shot of Peter screaming, obviously, that we've seen in both trailers. Um, so it's alluding to a a huge loss in the movie. We had, you know, Sean Gunn original... dying. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> um you uh <laughs> that'd be funny. Um you have Groot dying in the first film and uh um uh, oh my god, why am I blanking on What's his name? Who dies in the second one? Why am I blanking? Michael on this Rooker's era? Yondu. Michael Rooker's Yondu. Thank you. Um, I can't Call yourself I a fucking Marvel forgot fan. Yondu. I just went on the great, who, who is great at, in fucking, that movie. Too. Oh yeah. And I'm sure he'll somehow pop up in this. Like he did the holiday special or something. Um, yeah. but uh, in, in whatever way. Um, but I, I don't know who they kill off. If they kill off anyone, um, I just and how you, you disband this team right yeah so that is the uh, scene where i will cry you know the character who's come to love <laughs> sean gunn can we even name his character's name nope um sean gunn as craglin yeah craglin thank you it has been a while since i've watched the guardians movies and i remember loving them when they first came out and then i watched them so much that i kind of you kind of burn out on, on them. them but um but I'm excited for this, man. It has been a while for a pure Guardians movie. We got the holiday special. I went on that Guardians ride at Disney World, which I'll talk about next week. But it was fucking incredible. It was awesome. Um, so I can't wait to talk about that more, too. But yeah, I'm I'm obviously very pumped for this. Uh, moving on to let's talk about it. Vin Diesel was in Guardians 3, and it wasn't technically a Super Bowl trailer, but It came out the week of the Super Bowl, but we got the Fast X trailer. (laughs) So it was while I was away, this dropped. um, The beginning of the end is here. Uh, The beginning of the end of the road, Eric, is here. Um, And I think it's a good time to be, you know, wrapping this, wrapping this up. But like, I'm still here for the ridiculousness and I want to get your thoughts on the full trailer. You know, does it look like every other Fast and the Furious movie? Yes, it does. Is 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 Jason Momoa kind of perfect for this franchise? Yes, he is. Do I love the ridiculous retconning of Fast Five that he was there yes. the entire time? <laughs> he Absolutely, was behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't see that. It's so it's stupid. Amazing. It's so dumb. And that's what I love about this stupid franchise. It's like, oh yeah, retcon everything. Show me someone was just off screen that entire time. Show me Jason Momoa was there when Dom was fucking born. Um, like I I just want all of that, where give me every stupid retcon uh, of that franchise and just add more dumb and ridiculous shit. Um, So I'm all in. I think Momoa seems like a... A good adversary. I think he fits this franchise perfectly. Brie Larson, um, sure. Um, I realize she has her trademark, like I did, just like a little head tilt look. Everyone, and I'm like, oh, that's a very Brie Larson thing that I'm just realizing that she must just do. Um, but I like Brie Larson, so that's fine. Um, I forgot John Cena's coming back as well with his uncomfortable hair. Um, and, um, and I just, the movies are so dumb that I just, the dumber, the better. Um, and I'm going to throw it out there. I've seen people talk about it online and I had the same thought. Are we in a face-off situation at the end there with Dom and Cypher? I think that's what's happening. (laughs) So like that makes me go, oh, and people have said this online too, of, is that the way you bring. Uh, the Brian character back is that he face he face-offs with someone and then he's in a different sure. body so the character the character can come back but the, so uh anyways i'm just going to throw it all This is
1: getting there. ridiculous. Um yeah, yeah I, I mean i really just hope as well like we get more kurt russell cuz I, I feel like they kind of left yeah. that storyline a little bit vague like no one
0: dies in the fast and furious movies. This oh we know wrong. gal gadot's coming back too right yeah. but i think so.
1: Yeah i mean the only person that really is truly gone is scott eastwood which is is a good thing so um I but sure yeah I Russell do,
0: confirmed to come back in this one or or no i don't
1: know i don't think so i mean like he wasn't confirmed really to be in the last one either but he had the cameo so yeah um wouldn't be surprised uh, you know oh Walker we have rita
0: moreno joining the franchise yeah. as well finally finally,
1: <laughs> finally. <laughs> and fast <laughs> 10 in one year um so is this is this basically like part one of two then is that kind of what they're saying the rumor
0: I would love this if this is the route that they go with the dumb titles. This one is going to be Fast X and the next one is going to be Furious X. So, um, or, which or, love. or
1: the movie starts and it's like Dune where it's Fast X part one. Part one.
0: Yeah. Some people would just love if the next one's called, uh, FX two. So, um, I'm like, just the dumber the titles as well, the better as well. I mean,
1: that title's already taken, though, with uh, Brian Dennehy and Brian Brown, FX and FX2. So don't want to confuse people yeah. there uh, with that hit movie. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it it kind of looks the same. But I think the best part of that trailer is the retconning of Fast oh, Five, yeah. where he is, like, literally standing where the safe has been pulled <laughs>
0: Which it's he clearly like, was not there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go back and watch Fast Five now and see if he like they'll they'll re-release Fast Five and they'll do like a Star Wars thing where they the digitally George place Lincoln him thing.
0: in. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it looks so dumb! I'm so excited. Um, yeah, and then what I alluded to at the end, you see Cipher and and Letty um, in the same room and as cypher gets up she goes oh what the hell or something like that and then like they start fighting and then cypher does that little fucking knee jump you know what i'm talking about she goes "Ah!" and like uh what letty does in the last fast movie where where they're trying to find han and they're fighting those guys in the stupidest way when they find han that he had that flag in the window. so stupid <laughs> and then like when she's fighting she uses that knee smash thing so i'm like did letty and cypher face off like and then switch bodies which i hope i fucking hope um, i hope
1: it's more like ha- dragon ball z though with uh captain ginyu of the yeah, ginyu force right. where like he switches between goku and, and himself yes and that's how uh, it's uh, done. that's
0: that's i think that's what it's going to be um so I'm all for that. Just go as stupid as possible. Like I just now want it is Dunnest science fiction lines. at this point. <laughs> <sighs> if we weren't already there, of course we are. So um, I love it. Fast X, Furious X, probably coming next year. Are they both Louis Leterrier? We'll find out. I think they are. Really, okay. it's Vin Diesel directing them, right? Yeah, but
1: he is the true mastermind behind it all. But you know, I don't think it's really the end, though. Like I think, like there will be some time oh, off between the next generation. Cause, yeah. Yeah. Cause Vin Diesel, I mean, like it was announced that he's going to do a fourth Riddick movie with David Tui, but um this is his bread and butter. And I feel like there's not, there's nothing else really that he's been in. That's his mm-hmm. as a lead that has done well enough to, you know, continue on even with Riddick, like they're, they're, they're cult movies, but they're not popular in that kind of, you know, big box office kind of way they do have an appeal but yeah i i, I honestly think that it's not i mean it never is it, 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 there there will be another spin-off like hobbs and shaw or something like that or you know oh we'll no see, like the, fast and furious will well.
0: continue for sure whether it's a time jump because they've already introduced uh little b which he named his kid Brian after his best friend, which doesn't make still any alive. sense. <laughs> like, it's like if I had a kid and named him Eric. No offense, Eric, but that would be a little weird. But if I was dead if in like real
1: life, but if I wasn't like if but it, if you if weren't we dead in versions,
0: but still, the thing is, in the movie, you're not dead, right? So yeah. why would I name my kid after you? I, you're the best man, but I don't think I would name uh, my would. kid after no, you. I would. not <laughs> like, so it's should have called him it's, Paul. It's, like
1: that would make more sense, but then also that'd be probably in poor taste. Weird.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Anyways, uh, just be as dumb as possible. Um, there were a couple more spots quickly. Indiana Jones. Um, I've never been an Indiana Jones fan, so I'll kind of kick this over to you. Like, are you, are you excited for this, or are you kind of no. just like I'm
1: kind of yeah. like, I'm gonna watch it, but honestly no excitement. And it's not even necessarily because of kingdom of the crystal skull. It just kind of feels like those first three movies were so well done and they were all directed by Spielberg. And even the fourth one um, that it's just kind of like, let's move on. You know, that, that yeah. those movies, their time has come and gone and just be happy with what you have, you know? And I like James Mangold, but like James Mangold's a guy that's very hit or miss. You know, for, for every Logan he makes, he also makes a very run-of-the-mill studio movie that kind of feels lifeless, like Ford versus Ferrari. And, you know, I hate it when I see reviews that say, this is like a, you know, a, a, a movie they don't make anymore. And I'm just like, come on, really? Like, that's, we're, we're calling a conventional run-of-the-mill movie, you know, a, a, a great kind of, they don't make them like this anymore Film and it's just like that kind of infuriates me but that that's besides the point i just feel like again you know i'll watch it and maybe i'll be pleasantly surprised i mean i i, I like the cast i like you know mads mickelson you know villain and being a villain again i don't know if phoebe waller bridge yeah i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of good people toby jones like there's a lot of good people in it but um
0: i like homeboy yeah, that was in logan as well um
1: yeah, I don't know why I'm forgetting his name, I, and I just had it on the tip of my he's tongue. He's one of those
0: vanilla guys, but one of the good ones, you know? He's one of the bland um,
1: whites that works.
0: Um, yeah, like I, <laughs> uh, I'm forgetting everyone's names today. I am too. Well, is, I mean, I'm still uh, recovering
1: from being sick, so I'm going to blame bro, that. It
0: starts with a B, doesn't it? Ba, 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 yeah, because he's great. Ba, in, oh, ba, Boyd Holbrook. Because he was ba, great in Boyd Vengeance. Boyd Holbrook, is, I got it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because he was great in Vengeance, and we talked about that movie last year. Um yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty solid. I mean, he's not one of those guys that's like, we need Boyd Holbrook for this movie,
0: but when no. he shows up in a whenever film, whenever he like, shows up, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Good for you, Boyd Holbrook. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, who's not an Indiana Jones fan, hasn't really done much to go, ooh, I really want to see this. Um, more CG heavy than maybe I would like. Well, the or de-aging as like, well, like, right? the de-aging I'm almost okay with. It's fine. Um, I just, I don't know. I like, I'll definitely go see it. It's made me kind of want to rewatch the Indiana Jones movies. Cause I've really done it only once. And that was about, I want to say five to eight years ago or something like that in between that time frame, And like, I know they're out on 4k now and, um, So I think leading into Dial of Destiny, I probably will do a rewatch. And I was one of those people with the hot take of like the first one. Raiders is the best one. But then my Mm. second favorite was the alien one that everyone hates. The uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull by Um, Dan Aykroyd. And because I had no expectations for it or didn't care. There was no baggage. There was no anything. I just watched it and I go, you guys are all this movie's fine. I'm like, it's not that bad. I'm like, I don't, it's good uh, even. Um, And I, so I never understood the hate for that movie because when I watched it, I was like, I don't know. I like this better than the second and third one. Um, And maybe that's just my more modern sensibilities and stuff like that. When it comes to movies, I I don't know. Well, no, I think it's also because you
1: didn't, you didn't have that attachment to those first three films as well, which isn't a bad thing. I think sometimes like, Fans can get so entitled and invested in something that if if a movie does even something just a little bit different from the previous films, people can feel like, oh, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Or, you know, how dare you do something with my I agree? Movie? I didn't love
0: you know? Shia LaBeouf or anything like that, but I felt like there were elements like Cate Blanchett in that movie. I kind of liked. Is she's the villain, right? Or, you didn't um... love Mutt? Um, but <laughs> I didn't love mud, but, and I hated, I think I hated the one a lot of people like with Sean Connery.
1: Oh, the last um, crusade. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. It's great. And I,
0: and that was my least favorite one. I didn't like it. And like, so that's kind of where I'm all over the place with the Indiana Jones franchise. Like I think Raiders is a classic. I've seen it in theaters. Even I, I saw it, uh, not when it came out, obviously, but on a yeah. re-release, 1981? I, um, <laughs> yeah. I was, um, I was still in my dad's Never mind. Um and uh style yeah style of destiny, yeah. Of destiny. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I uh I saw it on a re-release at uh AMC Whippy, and um I was like, oh no, the first Raiders of the Lost Ark is a classic, but like I just don't care about Indiana Jones. So I don't know. This one dealing what with about like Dr. Time Jones? travel maybe you care about Dr. Jones, um the Aqua Song. The Aqua Song is great, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, this one probably dealing with time travel, I kind of like. I mean, that's just me theorizing with Dial of Destiny and some of the de-aging and, and showing the de-aging of Mads Mikkelsen and, and Harrison Ford back in the 40s, right, um, with yeah. the Nazis and stuff like that. So I think that could be cool. I love a time travel story. I'm a sucker for time travel movies and stuff like that. So if that's going to be kind of the sci-fi element of this movie, um, I am intrigued by that. So, um. That is keeping me going. Um, and I do like the cast and, you know, having, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge come in and you have Antonio Banderas and um, and you said Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, Mads Mikkelsen. So, like, the cast is quite good. And, I, again, Mangold, I, because how much I loved Logan, I'll always give his stuff a shot. But, yeah, I'm with you where if you go back to Walk the Line, 310 Oof. to Yuma, Night and Day, like, they're 310 good. Right? I kind of like 310 to you. Yeah, I like 310. I like 310. I don't even mind Walk the Line. And Night and Day is just forgettable. Um, but Except for all those passing I, uh, out
1: sequences that transition into the next scene. No, thank you.
0: So, I don't know. I don't know. It's just uh, Indiana Jones doesn't do much for me. Um, it would be better anything... if it
1: took place in the um, late 90s and it was called The Dial-Up of Destiny. And it's just basically indiana jones frustrated with his internet
0: well didn't people say like this movie technically should be taking place in the 80s right but then i think yeah or late 70s but like they're setting it in the late 60s so he's playing a couple decades younger than he should already and then he's going to be dh for the other sequences um but if it's time travel as well i mean you know who cares No, none of it really matters no um and then okay anything else we got a creed 3 trailer a 65 trailer we can kind of just do a roundup of stuff um what other big game spots did we get um we got super mario
1: brothers yeah i wanted wanted to to get to that
0: that. we yeah Screevy got another teaser (laughs) that's coming out soon uh dungeons and dragons honor among thieves um we got uh what else did we get transformers rise of the beast did a like a porsche collab to reveal let him uh, pete, <laughs> to let pete davidson come into the transformers franchise um wasn't he in that so trailer we as pete-
1: well with brie larson and john ham about like making a sandwich i think that sure. was also a um
0: that super was a cool super Bowl cool commercial. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. there was all those and like most of them are just for movies we've already seen trailers for. They're just slightly different. Like I've kind of avoided scream stuff now because we're getting close to it. Uh, Dungeons and dragons looks worse. The more that I see it, um, and Creed, I've kind of stopped watching stuff because we're pretty close to that as well. So, uh, and then if you wanted to mention anything on those, Eric or Queen? We...
1: Oh, I was just going to say I also stopped listening to Creed music because I just want to make sure that you know I get the full experience of watching Creed three. Um, <laughs> so you know. <laughs>
0: um, and then finally, um, just it wasn't technically like a Super Bowl trailer or anything, but the Super Mario Brothers movie dropped a Super Mario Brothers plumbing commercial um to promote the Super Mario Brothers movie and it's using the theme song from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show uh and I just want to give a shout out to that cuz it's absolutely perfect and uh, as a kid who used to wake up at 5 in the morning to sneak downstairs to watch Ren and Stimpy and the Super Mario Brothers Super Show one of them I had to sneak and watch cuz my parents told me I couldn't watch it which is Ren and Stimpy Ah, uh, the other was just because I. The only time they would air the Super Mario Brothers Super Show in the '90s was at 5 a.m. Um, so I got up to watch that uh, before school, and hearing that song again um, brings me to like the Lego Movie or um, some of the kind of more meta humor from. You know, poking fun at yourself, but then also utilizing that nostalgia and the history and the deep cuts and things like that for people who really love the characters to kind of make fun of it or or have fun with it. So hearing that song from that show in a faux TV ad for the Super Mario Brothers in the movie, and just even the the woman reading off being like, um, uh the corny line of her saving money um they'll drain uh, everything yeah except my bank bank account account. (laughs) (laughs) it's so good as she like looks over then gives them like a weird look like i just think it's perfect and the logo being the original like one of the original super mario brothers title treatments like everything they're doing for this movie so far has been spot on and i just hope i hope 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 that they can pull it off and i'm starting to see it come together in my head of like how the movie is going to play out of like Mario and Luigi kind of down on their outs, like as these kind of struggling plumbers in the Bronx and like Mario being kind of a, you know, probably someone who's never accomplished anything and Mario and Luigi haven't or something like that. So that's why he gets brought into the mushroom kingdom and has to help save the mushroom kingdom and, and stuff like that. Like, it's just, it's like a perfect in my head right now, how you would adapt such the simple thing of Mario a plumber, such a stupid concept, having to save a princess in a in a in a fake world, and how you're going to incorporate that in a grounded way, but still a fantastical way of them being like actual plumbers in New York, but then using the history of Super Mario and the deep cuts and the music has just all been perfect so far, so I don't want to get my expectations too high, but everything I see from this Eric, I'm like I'm more and more in so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the best case scenario is that just looking for something that's fun, you know. And, and yeah. like again, like there's no, there's not a lot of plot or story when it comes to the Super Mario Brothers or just Mario in general. I mean, like there's, there's just it's just basically Mario saves a damsel in distress, you know, and goes yep. through various levels to do so. So how and do you? And it's always extend... a
0: giant Koopa.
1: Yeah, it's always Dennis Hopper. Um, so how do you, you know? Make that a narrative that's not too convoluted or or overly wrought, but also kind of, you know, pay tribute to the images and the references from the game. But, you know, make it work because obviously they didn't know what they were doing with, um, you know, the live action version, even though when I was listening to the show that I keep talking about, uh, uh, Greatest Movies Never Made, the first draft of that live action adaptation was apparently like perfect. And what happened was when you get rewrites and notes and things like that, it will change to the point where it's never going to be what it started out as. And even if it retains some of it, there's, it's just going to get more complicated or it's going to go through a series of, you know, um, filters, whether it be, um, you know, screenings for the what do they call those screenings like the marketing screenings for people that like you know do like the surveys and things like that where it's like um
0: test screenings yeah,
1: test screenings and stuff like that and so you know that's what kind of what happened to that super mario brothers film and also the people that were making it didn't care so you know like they had free reign so it'll be very interesting to see how this movie plays out when it comes to you know, making kind of a, a a hero's journey story that makes sense for this world, but then also feels like a Mario Brothers video game as well. So, I think I think I think this is the best way to go doing an animated film. So I I, I think it's going to do well. I think it, like it, it's going to make a lot of money. I think people might be surprised with how much money it makes, depending on how successful it is but if it's anything like you know minions in terms of getting families into the theaters it's it's i think it's going to be one of those surprise movies of of 2023 that maybe a lot of people right now aren't thinking is going to make you know over 200 million dollars or something like that but it ends up doing that kind of business
0: yeah i agree man i can't wait i uh the more i see from it the more i'm like i Fucking can't wait for this movie. And I hope it's just, like you said, fun or entertaining. Uh, anything else you wanted to chat about before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, I'll just quickly mention that I listened to the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania uh press conference, uh, which was moderated by Randall Park. Um, it was a fairly standard um conference overall. It, you know, like a lot of the questions were, you know, basically where are the characters are now and 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 you know uh, Randall Park who's a very charming guy kind of was keeping it pretty much in kind of a spoiler free zone and you could even tell yeah. that some of the actors just by listening to um the audio the audio file you know we were we're always referencing or referring to Kevin Feige and saying like oh can I talk about this or can I mention this and you know part of it I think it was more interesting listening to that conversation because the film that they were talking about sounded more interesting overall than the movie that was made. Like you had Peyton Reed talking about like spending three and a half years developing the landscape for, you know uh, the quantum realm and what they were putting into it and the influences both, you know, scientifically and cinematically. It's like, Oh, that sounds all really, you know, fascinating. And Michael Douglas kind of being like, you know, I'm in a lot of R rated movies and I wanted to make something that was more you know, for kids and, and so him doing this kind of makes him more relevant, but also, you know, finding more insight into the world of Ant-Man and Marvel doing this press conference was kind of charming and funny. And then they bring up the idea of, you know, speaking of family with, you know, the fast movies at this movie, the themes are about family and vulnerability and sort of, you know, having this blended family come together. And, and again, like a lot of what they were talking about was interesting. And even, Jonathan Majors, who was talking about the idea of how Kang is a reflect the version of Kang that you see in this movie is supposed to be a reflection of the hero he's up against. So this Kang is supposed to kind of be perfectly suited for, you know, Scott Lang and how. Jonathan Majors would kind of be studying and watching Paul Rudd, and kind of you know taking in certain mannerisms and, and things, and, and using that you know maybe to his advantage in his performance. But it's it's also strange him saying that because the version of of this Kang feels more theatrical and would be probably better suited to go up against Tom Hiddleston's Loki where, you know, the, the version of Kang in Loki kind of felt more down to earth weirdly and kind of over, you know, his reign of terror and would probably have been better suited up against, um, you know, Scott Lang in, in this movie. So it kind of, it's, it's such a, it's such a weird kind of jarring, you know, juxtaposition of considering those two versions kind of suiting each other because the whole idea of what Kevin Feige was talking about in in you know the conference is that the reason why they brought you know Kang into the Ant Man world first or the Ant Man trilogy was they wanted to pit Kang against somebody that was you know an everyman, somebody that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think would have a chance against you know, someone that threatening, you know, this early on into Kang's, you know, origin story. And that again, sounds interesting, but at the same time you're watching it and you're thinking to yourself, why is it Ant-Man? Like it, it would be better suited for, like it would almost weirdly be better suited for like the Guardians to have some sort of connection in the same way that Thanos was kind of, you know, on the periphery in the first Guardians movie. Um so again, I, I don't think this conference really did all that much to kind of add a greater appreciation for the film, but in terms of them talking about the creative side of making the movie, you do appreciate that you know there was an idea there and there was some inspiration and influences that even though it didn't really translate onto you know the the, the final product, it there there was something where it was not like, oh, let's just like make this movie, you know, and make some money and call it a day. Like there was some thought going into it. It's just a shame that the thought that you know was developed over, you know, three and a half years to four years really didn't translate into that film. And it's just like, yeah, it's like all the things that they were talking about, it's like I'd love to see that in this movie (laughs) and it's not there.
0: It's that's always what's so interesting, right? With, especially with these press conferences, I also love hearing about like the kind of behind the scenes or the motivations or how the cast worked together or some funny thing about, you know, one of the cast members quipping about the movie that they're in, like you said about Michael Douglas or something like that. Or it's always interesting when the movie is intended a certain way and everyone's intentions are, are good. or they, and thought out of what they wanted to kind of portray but then it doesn't you know not for some people obviously it worked the reviews are pretty mixed right now but we were both i was mixed negative and you were just also mixed negative a little bit more negative but um it is always interesting to sit down and hear people talk about even a movie that it didn't quite work for you but you know, you get a little bit more out of hearing them go, okay, well, this is what I was trying to do. (laughs) And in in that moment, they're still saying, this is what I was doing. But in your head, you go, oh, that I see where you were coming from, but that didn't quite work. So I feel like it's when you get something a little bit out of these press conferences, but I appreciate you going and, and, and doing that while I was away on vacation. So, um, yeah, you know, I I think you always get a nugget out of those things, even for a movie that didn't quite work. And um, uh, I might go back and listen to the transcript that came through because I was just way too busy on vacation. But um, appreciate you uh, checking that out, Eric. all right, everyone, I think that's going to wrap the show. I mean, speaking of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, you can go check out that review Eric and I did, spoiler-free, at this very moment over on Untitled Movie Reviews and on YouTube. Uh, Eric and I went for an hour talking about what worked, what didn't work about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So please go check out that. We would really appreciate it. Uh, go check out our newest episode of uh, The Cast of Us. Um, episodes five and six will be up this week. Um, episode five is a bit late because of, I was on vacation and Eric was dealing with some, you know, sickness stuff. So like we weren't able to record that one on time, but we will do a full recap and, and breakdown of episode five that will be up very, very soon. So keep it, uh, keep. What, look for that on the cast of us, and then on episode, uh, on episode six, which is Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, you guys will get a um another new episode of the cast of us. So two entitled in the span of a couple of days. Oh, kin, yep. thank you, Eric. Yep. Um, so I'm excited for that. 10 p.m. Eastern Sunday nights new episodes we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming moving forward Um, and then we have all of our Sundance reviews lots of other stuff coming out uh, on Untitled Movie Reviews so make sure you guys subscribe on YouTube drop us those thumbs up uh, subscribe on YouTube subscribe on podcast services we appreciate it Um, the one-stop shop to find everything just head over to letterbox which is untitled underscore cast Um, and you'll find everything over there. Um, As always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com, and you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck.
1: I'm Eric Marchand. You can find more of my video uh, reviews and interviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. I have an interview with uh, Variety's senior awards editor, Clayton Davis, which was very nice of him to spend some time talking about this year's Oscar nominations. And it's, yeah, it's always good to kind of learn from somebody who's really on the inside and knows...